Well, for you in-house, and you online, I need to remind you I'm not Wayne Turnage. <laughs> Pastor Wayne is a little taller than me. Uh, I want to thank everybody that, that stepped in, stood up, and, and Pastor Wayne is just one of many. Uh, you were blessed to hear, and you were blessed in their leadership these last two weeks. If you're not aware... Uh, the staff at First Baptist Church and a few other affected folks were quarantined for a couple of weeks due to a case of COVID among our church staff. And we're so blessed that Christy is healing up and that uh, the, the um, virus didn't spread further. Uh, and to me, that reinforced precautions, taking precautions, being careful, being wise, in your actions and activities during this time. And, and I know you'll join me in saying, let's pray for a vaccine to come soon, that, that God would provide that very soon as well. Today uh, is typically the someday following this worship service that we would have a church-wide family Thanksgiving dinner here at First Baptist Church. Something else that's fallen as a casualty of the COVID crisis. We're not doing that today. Also, this Tuesday night would normally be our family fellowship uh, time that precedes Thanksgiving, again, another casualty of the COVID crisis. But we are still with the body of Christ and a fellowship together. And I want to encourage everyone to, to be thankful to the Lord. If you're in-house today, uh, let God bring to mind those things you are thankful for. Just remember, God is good, and God takes care of us in all things. If you're online this morning, I want to encourage you right now to express your gratitude to the Lord for someone, something, or just say, praise God, online this morning. Put that on Facebook as, or on YouTube as you're there together, uh, and thank, be thankful to the Lord. And the Bible teaches us over and over that our gratitude to God actually shapes our attitude and perspective, uh, not only toward God, but toward our circumstances. And we're going to see a little bit of that, uh, a little bit why that is in just a few minutes. So express some thanksgiving this morning. I also want to thank everyone that participated in Operation Christmas Child, the shoe boxes. Uh, we, we initially had a 114. It's up to 120. And maybe that'll rise a bit because you can still drop those off at, at Shalope Presbyterian Church if you'd like to. You can do that through tomorrow. So if you haven't brought yours by here or dropped it off yet, I want to encourage you to do that. Um, I want to pause here just a minute and tell you, as Pastor Mike alluded to a little while ago, we're going into the holidays, we're going into the Christmas season. Uh, I've already mentioned two things that, that, that we had to cancel. What are we going to do about those things we usually do during the Christmas season? Our number one priority is to adapt. It's to retain those things that our, our, our customs, our celebrations, we're going to do our best to retain those things but adapt them to the current environment. So we'll let you know a little more about that as we go along. Now, Pastor Michael mentioned one of those things earlier uh, is the hanging of the Christmas green worship service. We usually do that here in-house. Uh, you select an ornament. Uh, you're offered an opportunity to select an ornament in honor of someone, in memory of someone, and during part of the service, you bring that up and hang that on the Christmas tree. Uh, we're going to offer some other options for you to select an ornament this year, and one of those will be online. We're going to have a, 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 a page on our website that for those of you that are uh, on the Internet, you're tech savvy, you can go there, you can select an ornament, you can write your message in, 
And on the night of December 6th, and correctly, it's been, it says in your worship guide the 29th, but we moved it to Sunday night, December 6th. On the night of the 26th, uh, we will share, we'll do your in memory of and honor of and hang your ornament by proxy. And we'll have another couple of other ways because I know not everyone is uh, on the internet or on our website. We'll have a couple other ways that you can do that as well as those of you that are worshiping in-house. So we want to make it available to you, but we recognize we have to adapt. Uh, Sunday morning, December 6th, we're planning our next parent-child dedication. Parents, pay attention to that. Sign up on our website or shoot us an email if you'd like to participate. Uh, going to adapt that in some respects also. We'll see exactly what we're going to do as the time gets closer. Uh, you also will remember that we have our Lottie Moon Christmas offering Christmas card post office. Uh, that our, our children's mission classes distribute those. We're doing it differently. We're doing it. We're doing it differently. So we'll explain that a little bit uh, as we go forward, but it'll be contact-free. You will drop off, but you will not go through all the cards looking for your card. Uh, we'll have those set out for you to either be, be here on Sunday to pick them up or you can drop by during the week. We'll, we'll help you out with these things. But know that our objective is to celebrate the Christmas season the way that we typically do, adapting, changing as we need to, uh, whatever we need to modify or change. Let's all be praying that God provides a vaccine very soon. 2020 has been tough. It, it's been unusual. We're going into 2021. Who knows what that's going to look like. But the, the thing we know for sure is God is on his throne. And Jesus Christ is glorified. He has, he has not changed. Our job is to lift up and praise the name of Jesus Christ and to reach our world for Christ. God never said, God never said the gospel would be quarantined. And God never said, I want you to, to, to reach people for Christ as long as there's not a pandemic. He didn't put any perimeters. He didn't put any restrictions on it. That's our job is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, Look forward to those things, and with that, let me tell you, pay attention to our church communications. If I've learned anything during the COVID pandemic, uh, well, I should say it's validated what I long believed to be true. People don't read our emails. That's just the way it is. But also we found that a lot of, the, for some reason, there, there's been some cyber trouble, and a lot of our emails go into spam folders now, so be sure you're getting our emails. We're sending one weekly. That's absolute. Sometimes two, three, maybe more than that in different ministries from me or from others go out. Uh, check out our website. Information's on there. Call in if you need to. If you don't have email, you should be on a phone tree that we use for those who do not have email. There's lots of ways we're communicating. Facebook, we usually post things on our Facebook page. Make sure you're paying attention. Make sure you're paying attention. So if things change and we adapt to uh, the, the current crisis and environment, you catch on to that and you're able to participate in those things. We're not calling every individual household to let you know that things have changed. We're, we're going to say, hey, here it is. You read that and, and you respond. So I hope that you're doing that. I hope you're informed. If you have questions, always let us know. Always let us know. Uh, and I wanted to add one more thing, as I mentioned, but this time in quarantine gave me two weeks to ponder and pray, and the, the, uh, the highlight of my pondering and praying is I don't want to do this again. So uh, follow precautions. Wear your masks. Let's be careful. Um, 
and just uh, love one another that way. Uh, and, and Christy does not know how she got the virus. That, that's how sneaky this virus is. But I believe because we followed precautions that, and she followed precautions. She was not not slack at all in that. But I believe following precautions helps eliminate options, eliminate opportunities where the virus might spread. And that's what's so important about that. So let's be sure that we do that. And with those precautions, uh, remember to register for our worship services online. Go to our website, click on that, use the Connect card in-house, register for next week, uh, and you can do it online even now. Let us know you're coming next week if you'd like to worship in person, if you're worshiping in, in person. Remember those things. Okay, if you have your Bible, find 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy, the New Testament book of 1 Timothy in chapter 2. Uh, and hold your place there for just a moment. Two weeks ago, before we were quarantined and before things changed, shut down a bit, uh, out, we were coming right out of the election cycle. Now, we're not finished yet with the with everything related to the election. We've got some runoffs coming up, some challenges that are out there in front of us. But we know that the major election cycle is wrapping up. Uh, and I want to return to what I was going to talk about right after that, the, these two weeks ago. Uh, I, I want us to focus on the church's priority, the believer's priority, coming out of this election. Whether the, the people you voted for got in office or not, we follow Christ. And we find our priorities, we find our marching orders from Jesus Christ and from the Word of God. That's, that's where, where we go to find our priorities. So whether your person you voted for got in office or not, it's important to remember that our priorities come from the Lord and they come from the Word of God. And this is a good time to reflect on our priorities. Uh, Susan David is a Harvard, Harvard psychologist and she has written not long ago about the way people choose their priorities and their goals. And it's interesting, she said that psychologists have learned most people are on autopilot, that's the term she uses, where their priorities are concerned, where their goals are concerned. That is to say we establish priorities and goals at a certain point in our adult life and we just live those priorities and goals, often without much reflection. Even though we're consistently told, uh, not only by secular researchers, but especially by the Bible, to reflect on our priorities, to consider them and, and craft them, a lot of times we're just on autopilot, she says, until something jogs us out of autopilot. And she says some of the most common ways that people are jogged out of autopilot is, for example, something changes in the life of a friend or a neighbor. Say your friend or neighbor gets a new car. And all of a sudden, you wonder if maybe your priority should be to get a new car. She says it's that keeping up with the Joneses uh, mentality, and that's where it comes from. You're, you're cruising on autopilot. Something changes in their life, and you say, well, well maybe, maybe that should happen to me. Or a friend or a loved one or a neighbor or a coworker gets a promotion. And suddenly you say, well, maybe that should be my goal, to, to get a promotion or to get a new job or, or to make more money. It's when the circumstances change around us that we might be kicked out of autopilot and reflect on our priorities and on our goals. I think the election cycle is a good time for Christians to do exactly that because it changes the environment and inevitably is going to change the direction of the country. It changes our conversations. 
So it's a good time to look into the Word of God and, and reflect on our priorities. And we, a lot of times, we, we float on autopilot. We just look at our life and say, well, this is what I'm doing. I must be doing okay. But God wants us now and then to say, take a hard look at your priorities as a follower of Christ and ask yourself, are you doing the main things that God wants you to do? Do your priorities match up with God's priorities? Do your priorities for you match up with God's priorities for you? So that's what we're going to look at this morning. The letter of 1 Timothy is one of two that the Apostle Paul wrote that God preserved for us in the Bible, First and Second Timothy. Timothy uh, is a young pastor in a very pagan, very secular, non-Christian city called Ephesus. In fact, it was known for its idol worship. And Timothy is the pastor of the church there. So the Apostle Paul, toward the close of his life, wrote these two letters to strengthen Timothy's ministry, to instruct him in pastoral ministry, and also to help him understand what his priorities should be as a pastor and how to lead the church in biblical priorities and what God wants that church to do. The context of the time was the Roman Empire. So when the Apostle Paul speaks of kings and people in authority, he's talking about Roman officials, and he means also the emperor. And at the time, the emperor was Nero. And Nero was not at all sympathetic with Christianity. Ultimately, Nero would be the one that would have Paul executed, and he would have the Apostle Peter executed. That that comes sometime later. But it's important to understand in what you're about to read that the environment, the governing environment and the authorities around them were rarely sympathetic at all to Christianity and the spread of the gospel. You would think that what Paul would tell Christians then is that as a matter of first importance or priority, you should pray against that government, that God would, would strike down that government, that God would pull down those authorities and put people in place that are sympathetic to Christianity, maybe even put Christians in office. Maybe that should be what Christians should pray. But look at what Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, starting at verse 1. 1 Timothy chapter 2, starting at verse 1. Paul writes, First of all then, I urge that petitions, prayers, intersections, and thanksgivings be made for everyone, for kings and all those who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Let me pause there. So he doesn't say pray against them. He says pray for them. Verse 3, this is good and it pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. First of all then I urge, Paul says, this is of first importance. So important, in fact, he says, your attitude toward it should be urgency. So this is the first thing to make sure you're doing, Timothy, and that the church is doing. Of first importance, one of your number one priorities, he says, is to offer prayers, petitions, supplications with thanksgiving for the authorities. Kings and authorities. Everyone in power. In other words, pray for the emperor. And every, everyone in authority and in power. He says that should be a first priority. It's helpful to remember that in Paul's day in the Roman Empire, there was no concept of religious liberty like we have today. Now, all the way back to the Greek and the Greeks, Greek philosophers and the Greeks, uh, they had a, an idea of freedom of conscience. 
And they knew that religion went along with that. But what, what they did not have was a government that had embedded freedom of conscience in their founding documents, such as religious liberty. No one had done that. It was the farthest thing from their minds. That's the environment in which Paul says, pray for these leaders. Pray for the emperor in authority. It's a matter of first importance. It's not secondary. It's primary to being a believer in the Roman Empire. And I think we can draw from that that it's primary as well. It's of first importance, even urgent, that we pray for our elected officials and authorities in the United States of America, in North Carolina, and in our community. It's a matter of first importance. I love that Paul says, do it with thanksgiving. He wraps up all, he didn't say this kind of prayer specifically, that kind of prayer. He wraps up prayer in a big picture. Prayers, petitions, supplications, and with thanksgiving. Because you can even be thankful for things related to these government officials. You can be thankful to God that those officials are in place if you're listening to what God wants you to do and you have this as a matter of first priority. God wants all Christian citizens to pray for elected officials and authorities. He does. He wants all Christians to pray for elected officials and authorities. The question we're going to ask and answer this morning is, why? Why is that a matter of first importance? Why does it matter so much that Christians pray for elected officials and governing authorities? It matters to us for the same reason it mattered in the ancient world and the Roman Empire. It matters. Why does it matter? There's three reasons that Paul gives. Look at this with me. First of all, we should pray always, as as Christian citizens, for elected officials and governing authorities so that we can practice our faith. So we can practice our faith. Paul says it in verse 2. So that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. A tranquil and quiet life. The phrase does not mean a passive life. It doesn't mean that you keep quiet about your Christianity uh, or that you never participate in culture or that you don't own a business. The phrase, a quiet and tranquil life, means something like an ordered life that does not cause disruption. You're, You're an ordered, routine person. People can count on you in the culture. And you're not instigating problems. You're not causing problems intentionally. Now in the balance of Scripture, this also means sometimes believers being around does cause people problems. But here's the key. You're not doing it intentionally. The Bible says this frequently. Christians are not intentionally causing problems in the culture. If the culture has a problem with you, it's because you're living for Christ. And you're faithful to the Word of God. And if being faithful to the Word of God and living for Christ causes problems, then it causes problems. But you're not inciting problems. You're not inciting disturbance intentionally. You're living an orderly life and you're doing it for Christ. And then he says, here's the character of that tranquil and quiet life. Godliness and dignity. Godliness and dignity. So now we get it. It's a godly life. It's a life in Christ. And your godliness is what people see. It's the practice and exercise of your faith. You and I need to pray for our elected officials because they create the environment in which we live our faith. They create the laws that permit us to live our faith or, heaven forbid, deny us opportunity to live our faith. 
Pray for elected officials because they're the ones deciding what comes next for religious liberty in America. Justice Alito spoke to a group uh, online at a conference uh, and he talked about religious liberty in America and how it has changed and how it continues to change. He spoke to them on November 13th. He said, take a look at the Constitution and you'll see the free exercise clause of the First Amendment which protects religious liberty. He said it doesn't protect blackjack or a slot machine. But he he was talking about how religious liberty is being curtailed in America while other liberties and rights are being put in place of first importance. And he went on to talk about it uh, more specifically. And he finally said religious liberty is in danger of becoming a second-class right. To practice our faith in America with the kind of freedom that permits us to do what God wants us to do, we need to pray for our elected officials to preserve religious liberty in America. In fact, this is the reason our founders made it a first-order right in the Constitution. It starts our liberties. Religious liberty counts on freedom of speech. It counts on freedom of of assembly. It counts on the other first-order rights. If those things are curtailed and religious liberty is curtailed, we cannot serve Christ in our culture the way he intended or the way that we have. We still serve Christ. That's still our job. But it will change the environment and the culture. So when you pray for elected officials, be sure to pray that we are free to practice our faith, to exercise our liberty as believers, and to live as the way God wants us to live. Now, let me underscore what I said just a moment ago. Whatever happens, we still serve Christ. Whatever happens in America, we still serve Christ. And I have to confess, I think that we have taken for granted our liberties in America. I think we have assumed that they would never be curtailed or taken away. I don't know about you, but I can see a day when that would happen. But that doesn't change the fact that we serve Christ. No matter what, we serve Christ. So first, the first reason to make it a first order priority to pray for those elected officials is so that we can practice our faith. Secondly, and this goes along with the first one, pray for them so that we can please God. So that we can please God. Because God wants us to pray for them. This is good, Paul says, and it pleases God our Savior. What is good? Living a tranquil and orderly life in godliness and dignity. That's a good thing. Because when Christians practice their faith, it's good for the whole nation. It's good for the whole community. When Christians live a biblical faith, it's healthy for everyone and healthy for the community. The word translated good can be translated beautiful. That is to say, it's good from outward appearance. That when people see Christians living for Christ, they look at that and they say, I like that. That's attractive. It's good. That's the way it should be. Sometimes Christians substitute a practice of their faith that's not biblical and it's not good. But if we're living a biblical faith, people on the outside look at that and say, that's good. That's good. That's attractive. And Paul says, that pleases God, our Savior. See, what happens when you start praying for elected officials and those in authority? 
What happens is you align yourself with the priorities of God. That God wants you to live for Christ in your community, in your nation. And it's God's priority and it pleases God that you pray for those elected officials. You, you align yourself with what he wants. Why? Because he is God our Savior. He is God our Savior. We live in a lost and dying world. God wants people to be saved. We're going to read that again in just a moment. God wants people to be saved. You're praying for the, for the elected officials so you can practice your faith, and that pleases God. You know, another reason it pre- pleases God is because when you pray for them with thanksgiving, you are, you are acknowledging the sovereignty of God over all authority. That's what you're doing. You're acknowledging the sovereignty of God over all authority. When you can say to God Almighty, thank you, God, for that person in the White House. Thank you, God, for the mayor of the town. Thank you, God, for so-and-so and so-and-so serving that elected official. Thank you, God, for that. You are acknowledging with great faith. You're rising above the exclusive destructive nature of our culture. You're rising above that, and you are proclaiming God is in charge. Thank you, God, because I know you've got a plan and I know you've got a purpose and I know, God, that I'm in that plan and in that purpose and my desire is to please you. So I will pray with thanksgiving for those elected officials and I will acknowledge that God is in charge. Pray for them as a first priority because it pleases God when you do that. And then the third reason that we should pray for our elected officials and those in authority is so that we can preach the gospel. This is really the whole point. This is what pleases God the most, so that we can preach the gospel. As Paul puts it, because God wants everyone to come to a knowledge of the truth. People need Christ. People need Christ. We pray for our elected officials to retain religious liberty So for the number one reason that we can tell people about Christ. See, when we don't do that, we forget that the gospel is the, is the truth. It's what God has brought to the church to go out to the world. You know, Paul says that we are stewards of the mysteries of God. The church has been entrusted with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The reason that we are still here is because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, when I say to preach the gospel, I'm not saying when you leave here, every one of us must go out on the street and start preaching out loud the gospel of Jesus Christ. The early church did what we should do today, build relationships with people, have gospel conversations, and don't be shy or afraid to say this is the truth. This is the truth. The knowledge of the truth. Help those who are hurting. Bring hope to those who are hopeless. Share the gospel with those who are swept up in lies and falsehood in our culture. Preach on the streets if God leads you to do it. Preach up here. Preach outside. But share the gospel with your neighbors. Share the gospel with your co-workers. Have gospel conversations. Pray for those elected officials that in no way would they snuff out our opportunity to be stewards of the gospel of Jesus Christ in our generation. This generation is our generation. And if 2020 is any indication, our generation needs Jesus and needs the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. Pray for your elected officials that they will retain that freedom, that they will never snuff out 
the preaching, the telling, the writing of the gospel of Jesus Christ in our generation. Rise above the pettiness. Rise above the the struggle, the heartache. Rise above all those things. And tell people about Christ. He is our hope. One of Paul's favorite ways of talking about the gospel, sometimes we, we overlook this. He speaks of the gospel of Jesus Christ as the knowledge of the truth and being saved, coming to Christ, as coming to a knowledge of the truth. Have you ever noticed that? Coming to a knowledge of the truth is coming to see who you are in the Word of God, what what the Bible says about you, what God says about you. Coming to a knowledge of the truth is accepting what God says about you and what you must do and what God says about Jesus Christ. And what God says about you and me is that we are sinners in need of a Savior. That our, our basic problem is not politics or economics or education or ethnicity or race. Our, our basic problem is that we are all sinners in need of a Savior. And that we cannot save ourselves. Uh, there was no time in my life or in your life when we were good enough that God said, Wow, you're going to come and have a relationship with me? Uh, I, don't, I don't need to do anything for you. You're really that good. Instead, the Bible says that all people have sinned and fallen short of God's goodness, of God's standard, of God's glory. That's the knowledge of the truth. So what do we do with that? Well, then we find out that God loves us so much, he sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross in our place. He lived a sinless life. There was no sin in his life. And he died on the cross voluntarily in obedience to the Heavenly Father in your place. So you could be forgiven of your sin. And then God raised him from the grave. So when you trust Christ as your Savior, you receive eternal resurrection life for all eternity. That's the good news of the gospel. That's what we've been entrusted with. That's why we need to pray for our elected officials to never snuff out our explanation, our preaching, our heralding of the gospel, the good news. It is the truth. Anything else is a lie. The church is the only one telling that truth. You're a sinner in need of a Savior. And Christ came and you can trust Christ as your Savior today. Right now. And when you come to a knowledge of the truth and trust Him as your Savior, you'll be forgiven of your sins and receive eternal life. And that's good news. That's good news, isn't it? We are citizens of the United States of America. But we are followers of Jesus Christ. We are the body of Christ on earth. Our priority is first and foremost and always to serve Christ. And that includes praying for our officials that we will always have the freedom to proclaim the gospel of Christ to our generation. D.D. John Rowe is a champion uh, dog sled racer. We don't see a lot of those in Shalot. But where she lives, she is one of the, she's internationally known as a champion dog sled racer. She's won the Iditarod and came in second one year in the Iditarod, but at the halfway point had the fastest time in history for that race. And she's won nearly every other race, or at least raced in and placed in every other dog sled race that there is. She's written books. She's been interviewed 
uh, on television as, as a woman in leadership. She's been interviewed in magazines. She's written magazine articles. Uh, she has a, a foundation that raises money to help uh, rescue dogs and take care of them properly. On and on it goes. She, she's a, an outstanding individual in her community. And she's a follower of Christ. And one time she said that when she started racing and winning, winning those races became the main thing. Uh, she, it's not that she didn't care about Christ or the church or care about her husband and her family, but winning became the main thing and nearly became an obsession. And she put winning races in first place over everything else. And then she said, one day God got through to her. And said to her in her heart, you know that I love you whether you win or lose, right? And she said that changed her attitude about racing and about winning. And she said from that point forward, she understands that what she does is races, but who she is is a follower of Christ. Where we are as citizens, we are Americans. But we are followers of Christ. What you do at your job is what you do. But while you're there, you live for Christ. We are followers of Christ. And we need to be praying for these elected officials, those in authority, and our generation. That the gospel would go out and God would use us to share the gospel. As we close out this morning, I'm going to pray for those of us in the room and online who are followers of Christ and you know it, but God is showing you, you need to examine your priorities. Maybe you have been setting God somewhere in there, but not really seeing that everything else you do is is part of living for Christ. You live for Christ first and foremost and make that your priority. Or maybe God has burdened you with this. Maybe you've just been complaining about elected officials and authorities and God's been putting it on your heart. You need to be praying for them and praying for our community, and praying for this generation. Maybe God's put it on your heart as a believer to participate in the spread of the gospel. Maybe you're using the COVID crisis as an excuse not to be in ministry to your neighbors or friends, not to be praying for them or having gospel conversations when you can, but the gospel is not quarantined, and God wants us to go forth with the gospel in every generation. So believers, I'm going to pray for us, for our priorities and our recommitments. But I, if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior this morning, I want to invite you to come to a knowledge of the truth. Who God says you are, who Jesus is, and that you can be saved today. So I'm also going to pray a prayer for those of you who have never trusted Christ as your Savior to put your faith and trust in Christ this morning. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, as we pause now, Closing out at the end of this hour, God, we come again with thanksgiving and celebration. Father, we acknowledge that you are God. You are the one true God, and we praise you, God, for all that you do in our culture. And Father, we surrender our concerns and our fears to you. God, we pray for our elected officials. We pray for those in authority. We pray, God, for religious liberty to be retained and even strengthened in America, that we could faithfully serve you in this nation where you have put us in our generation. God, we pray for our generation that those who are lost and need Christ would be saved. Father, I pray that those of us who are believers here in this room and those of us online, Father, if you've spoken to us about our priorities, God, I pray you would forgive us, Father, for 
frustrated or mixed up or confused priorities, God, forgive us for that. May we remember that no matter what, we follow Christ and we get our priorities from you. And Father, for those who need Christ as their Savior today, God, those who would come to a knowledge of the truth, I want to pray this prayer with them this morning, with that man, that woman, that young adult, that teenager this morning, God. And I pray today in this prayer they put their faith and their trust in Christ. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. That's the truth. And I know that I can't save myself. And Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me to forgive me of my sins, and I believe you're alive today. Jesus, come into my heart, into my life. Jesus, forgive me of my sins and give me a home in heaven. I repent of my sins and commit my life to following Christ today. Father, for all who prayed that prayer and for believers who recommit their priorities to you today, God, I pray you would strengthen us as we seek to follow through with these commitments. I pray for those who have trusted Christ today, maybe in the recent past. That, Father, you would help us to nail down that decision to follow through in baptism and church membership. And, Father, as believers, God, together, I praise the church, we would be faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ in our generation. God, we're glad that we can pause on this Sunday before Thanksgiving to thank you, to thank you, God, for Jesus Christ, to thank you for putting us in the United States, to thank you, God, that we can serve you faithfully in our time. And Father, I pray we'd be faithful to do it. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.